What's going on, Cougar fans? Today on the Holy City Hoops podcast, we are talking bracketology. I'm just kidding. Harrison Bound is here to recap the season for the Cougars. Conference play, basketball season for the College of Charleston is in the rearview mirror. They fall short of another title, bowing out in the CAA quarterfinals to Delaware on Sunday. I am recording this right after Hofstra has cut down the nets here in D.C., so shout out to the Pride. Harrison and I finished recording right before the game tipped off. Job well done by Hofstra. Very happy for our friends up there in New York because they had to wait exactly as long as Charleston fans did, 19 years between trips to the NCAA tournament. And that team probably has the best chance of pulling an upset of any of the CAA teams. So time to root for the Pride a little bit so they can get a win for the conference. Harrison and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation. So not just the Delaware game itself, but the season as a whole, um, where things kind of got off the rails for Charleston. And we talk a lot about the offseason ahead. Uh, It's going to be a really essential offseason for the team, the coaches, the program as a whole. So we go through sort of our wish list of what we want to see. Would love to hear what you guys think. You know, shout us out on on social or on holycityhoops.com with with your ideas, what you'd like to see the team do over the summertime to improve. But this being a season recap episode, we're going to take a break for a little while, take a little off-season ourselves. Don't stop following us, though. We'll have the occasional emergency podcast during the off-season. We'll always be active on Twitter either at Holy City Hoops or myself at King underscore Cress. Y'all know where to find me. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening this season. It's been fun to continue to grow this community. Love interacting with everybody during the games, after the games. And uh, let's do this again next year. All right, Harrison and I talking all things CFC basketball coming up next. We are starting a new annual tradition, bringing on Harrison Bound at the end of the season to recap the CAA tournament, the season as a whole. HB, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're recording this before the championship game, so who knows uh, who's going to win between Hofstra and Northeastern. Do you have a prediction? I think Hofstra gets over the hump. Um They've looked really good in their first two games. I've said all year that I think Northeastern was the best team that probably underachieved and looked the worst all year. Um, but they've got arguably you know the best or second best coach in the in the conference, and they're always kind of in the mix of it. But I, I just I think Hofstra gets over it this year. I think that they've got maybe a better team than they've ever had cohesive wise, and everybody kind of knows their role and does it to the best. And so I. Um, that's my pick for tonight. I think it'll be close, though. I think it's going to be close. Well, if you're wrong, I'll just cut this out. It's all good. <laughs> exactly. I'll, we'll record another one where I talk about how good Northeastern is and how it's going to Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put one or the other in. <laughs> so you watched the Delaware game. I was at the game a couple rows up. It was definitely overwhelmingly Delaware fans. I don't know if you could hear that. Yeah. Um, cool to, to be back in the March Madness atmosphere. Lot to talk about about the game itself, though, about the season as a whole as we look back. But let's let's start with, you know, the immediate reactions to the game itself. Where do you think Charleston kind of lost their way? Uh, you know, it, it points in the first half when we got kind of down, um, kind of let Delaware go on a run, middle to, to late part of the first half. You kind of felt the tide turning. Um, I don't know what it was like at the game. It was hard for us to hear the announcers. I actually went to the watch party at the alley. Um, and we okay. had an unbelievable turnout of CFC fans there, and it was loud, and they were cheering. And 
Um, it was a really cool, cool environment because I haven't kind of experienced that as a fan yet. Um, but you, to me, watching the game, it never really felt like the energy was there from CFC. And I know we've said that on a couple of different occasions, uh, big games this year. But just watching online, it didn't feel like we were – I didn't have the sense that we had come out to really play our A game that day. Um, and to me, the biggest point – uh, where we really lost the game was this first kind of five minutes of four minutes of the second half. They just, they take it from a, a 34 to 30 game to a 40 to 30 game in a matter of like a minute and a half. And I thought that was made all the difference in the game. The energy from the crowd was there early when uh, I think Brevin hit the first three of the game and then Riller hits a three. So CFC crowd was, was pretty amped there at the beginning, but then again, Delaware was also going shot for shot. I mean, yeah. darling, went shot for shot with Riller all night and it's not like they started cold once things I, I feel like the tide turned when Riller went out of the game and that all or I don't know if it was all bench maybe Zepp or, or Galloway was still in but that reserve group just did not get anything done and, and that's when I felt Delaware started to pile it on it was funny though uh definitely a lot of CFC fans who I don't think had flow hoops subscriptions because the offense and general uh, play of the, the Cougs seem to be striking some people the wrong way. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of like, what are we doing? We're just playing yeah. uh, ISO. I was like, y'all haven't been watching the, the season so far? I, exactly. I mean, that, I feel like that's been our complaint this entire year. Um, this team has really struggled to find an identity all year. Yeah. And, um, you know, we hit on this early in the year. And, and like I said, you know, just wait and see how conference play and, and, that's the great thing about the CAA is conference plays what matters and it'll all shake out one way or the other. And they just never really quite found that groove or found that, that identity. And, um, you know, I still remember us talking after, after, before the, I think after the Oklahoma state game and you said, do you believe this, you know, this team ha is a good shooting team? And I said, I really don't, but we'll see how it goes. And, and I think that that holds true other than a couple games this year, Ultimately, I didn't think we were a great shooting team and, and making shots kind of came back to, to bite us here at the end. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about more of a season-long trends here in a bit. But now that it's March and I'm just watching so much college basketball, either at the CAA tournament or, or just in general, and I'm seeing there's that much more of a contrast into how other teams look compared to us. And, and Delaware exploited that. I mean, Delaware was passing big to big. And I was I was thinking to myself, I was like, have has anybody on this team ever made a skip pass this season? Have we ever shot a floater and made it? Have we ever run a pick and roll since that Oklahoma State game? The offense just looked like it was caught in mud for a, a large part of the game. But like you said, that's what we've seen lately, especially when teams got a second look at us here in the second half of conference play. Yeah, and I mean, you just look at the stats in general for, for Delaware. They come out and they shoot 50% field goal percentage and then 50% from the three-point line and then 81% from free throws. I mean, that that's going to be hard to beat, you know, no matter who you're playing. And that just shows, you know, while, while our assists line up with them for the game, 10 to 11, um, you let somebody shoot 50% on you uh, from field goal and from two and three. I mean, that, that just shows you they're playing really good offensive basketball. Yeah. They're moving the ball. They're getting high, um, you know, high percentage shots. Mutz and Painter both had good games. Painter, I think, didn't miss a shot the entire game. Uh, Darling goes nine for 17. Uh, and they just, like you said, their their offense had rhythm to it. They knew how to beat our defense. You know, I don't know how many, two probably two or three of 
of Darling's threes were off of pick and rolls where it's like our big man just left and the guard never really recovered. And it's like, I mean, as a big man, I know that your job is to recover, but that's also what help defense is for. And it's like, if Darling's sitting there getting ready to raise up for a three, you've just got to go ahead and put your, your hand up and contest it. I feel like a couple of times we were like running away from him when he's coming off a screen. And, and I don't know obviously what the, the game plan was, but I felt like he got way too many open looks. Um, and it felt like he was hitting a big three, in the worst possible moment for us. Every oh yeah. Time. I mean, every time Charleston cut it to six, cut it to four, Delaware had an answer. And, and most of the time it yeah. was darling. I mean, talk about easy scoring, the transition scoring for Delaware. Charleston only turned it over 11 times, which is pretty good for them, but 21 points off those turnovers for Delaware. They were just headed the other way with it. Yeah, They had a great, great game plan. And, and it is tough to beat a team, you know, three times in a season, but how we played against them the first two times, I, I really felt confident about it. I mean, I, I thought we were going to come out here and win and um, maybe be a close battle it out game. But I, I really believed that we were a, a better team top to bottom. Um, but like you said, I mean, between the turnovers, their offensive ball movement, and then just our inability to hit shots, um, they, they looked like the better team almost start to finish, in my opinion. Yeah, 27% shooting for CFC. Not going to not gonna get it done in the postseason. Nah. Uh, three bench points. Did you see that? The OC put back and, and a Tucker free throw, and that was it. You look at the box score, too, um, off the bench, and it, you know, other than a couple of rebounds out of people, it's like I've always said this, like what do you, what do you bring us off the bench? You know, you, you've got to make an impact no matter how many minutes you're getting. You've got to come in and give some type of impact. Um, OC, you fully expect to get those four rebounds. OC's a big body, a great rebounder. Um, but I'd love to see him get four, five, six points. I'd love to see Epp come in and, you know, get four points to go with those rebounds. Um, you know, Quan and, and Reddish didn't play that much. Um, so it's hard for you to say with one in two minutes, okay, go get us some some stats. Tucker, obviously, with 19 minutes, one rebound and one assist. I mean, you've got to you got to give us more than that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, credit to, to their bench. Um, they got guys that give you nine points and a couple of rebounds, and then four of their starters are in double figures. And they just they, they had a better game plan, in my, my opinion, and they came out and executed it. And uh, they went on a run when they needed to, to to kind of put this game away in the second half. Yeah. I wrote about this uh, after the game. Tough way for, for Grant Riller's career to end. I don't know if there was the, the shot of it during the game but he he was clearly pretty upset when he uh, got got pulled at the end of the game there and tough to see um i know in the post game too he was pretty emotional but uh i think you just have to tip your cap to uh to the career he had yeah you know um i'll tell you man no no one feels worse about this loss than the players um as hard as us as us fans take it and uh and the things we may say on Twitter and different things, nobody nobody takes these losses harder than the players, and especially the seniors, because in a lot of cases and by all appearances after this game, their careers are done uh, at CFC. Um, obviously, Grant has a lot of basketball left in his professional career, um, but and I even you know kind of tweeted about tweeted about it. it it's it is kind of a, a bittersweet and sad moment to to see the end of Grant Riller's career. I mean, if you go and look at his all time stats. He makes a case for possibly one, you know, the greatest CFC basketball player of all time. Oh, you you, you didn't just tweet. You were hot about the player of the year <laughs> voting. <laughs> I, 
I was. I think that uh, I, I think he got robbed. You know, Nathan Knight's a great player. I take nothing away from him. But when you look top to bottom, Grant stats, I mean, he's going to be, what, the second all-time leading scorer in the CAA? Yeah, um, second and third. I, I, don't, I don't see how you don't give the player a year to that, especially with – I mean, points per game are basically even. William & Mary didn't win the conference. You know, it's not like you're saying we're going to reward the conference champion. That wasn't the case. Um, I just – I think Grant uh, was more meaningful – uh, to to CFC and I felt like he was a player of the year and it's it's sad to see him go he's probably in my opinion the greatest player I mean I, I know that Galbach had an unbelievable career here and I take nothing away from any of those guys Anthony Johnson some of the old legends but um, what Grant did and when he did it you know when this program was kind of in its darkest days um, and to do it as a, a freshman or basically a redshirt freshman you know uh has been just surreal to watch. And like you said, tip of the cap to him. I'm, I'm really going to miss watching him play. And I'm, uh, I'm fearful of what that means for the Cougars <laughs> team next year without a guy like him. The, uh, the safety net is gone next year. That's for sure. Um, there was a lot of standing around waiting for Grant to come around a screen on offense and uh, team and the players are going to have to figure that out next year. So it's going to, it's an important off season. We'll get to that too in a bit. But yeah, I mean, Grant Riller certainly makes a case for player of the year. He was the preseason pick. I understand the night pick. I mean, the narrative with William and Mary, they were supposed to be bottom of the barrel. They finished in second place. Knight leads the the country in double doubles. I get it, um, you know, but Riller's career, I agree with you, is is right up there with the top of, of CFC tournament MVP championship season uh all his production since the moment he stepped onto the court for the first time um it's it's going to be exciting i think the next uh next podcast will probably be uh reactions to where he gets drafted this year because looks like that's going to happen oh it's for sure happening um and rightfully so and i uh i think he's got the talent to to make an impact and have a a true nba career um and i look forward to watching him and and uh, like you said, the safety net is, is no longer there. Well, let's let's talk about the season as a whole, um, because it is the first one and done tournament appearance for Coach Grant. I also think it's the first disappointing season, you know, underachieving type season in, in Grant's career, uh, Coach Grant's career. Uh, obviously, the first year expectations are super low. Uh, nine wins. Who cares? He got hired like two months before the season started. Then you have the 500 season with uh, with Jarrell and Marquise coming in. Then you have the Joe Cheely, Grant Riller year. Uh, when those guys are back, we make a run at the championship, lose to UNCW. Those next three years are basically all the teams in contention. Uh, so this year, with the expectations being what they were, there's no world beaters in the CAA. Charleston had the most first place votes. Riller's the, the preseason player of the year. To finish fourth, to not win a game in the conference is definitely a disappointment. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, same as, as last year. Um, you know, I, I think that we were easily the favorites to win this whole thing. And I think that when you go back and look at it um, now and even years from now and you look at the talent that's there and the, the schedule and how the, the season went, um, it's very disappointing, especially given, you know, that women Mary game at home, I was there and, and they looked unbelievable. Yeah. And you, you take first place 
fully take it away. You're in sole possession. You got a chance now to go play Elon Hofstra Northeastern, um, and then cap it off with UNCW and kind of a, a four four game two week stretch. Um, and you could have put it away right then and lock up first place. That's a guaranteed NIT bid. Um, that's an easier uh, road to the championship in the conference tournament. And just how good they look first women, Mary. I mean, obviously Brevin goes off for 23, but Grant looked great. People were hitting shots. We played great defense, kept them under 50 points. And I, I fully left that game thinking, okay, this team finally hit their stride. We have an identity now. Team, we're going to hit some of our shots. We're going to get hot. We're going to play great defense. We got a couple big games coming up, but we can, you know, split one of the Hofstra Northeastern ones, win out. We're conference champs, and and here we go. And, and then the um, wheels fell off. And then the wheels fall off, and you lose four straight. And I, it just really baffling to me at that time. And and looking back on it, it's, it's obviously very disappointing because that was that was kind of that stretch of like, okay, here we go. This is you know, you have the disappointing loss to UNCW. You win three straight, and you think after the William Mary game, you're hot, and you just keep it rolling, and we'll be fine. And then the wheels really fall off, and you lose four straight. So um, it's definitely a disappointing year. I don't know. I can't put my finger on exactly what went wrong in that, you know, in those moments in those four games. Um, but you kind of got the feeling after those four games, even after the the two wins to finish out the year, you just kind of had that feeling after those losses that something wasn't quite right with the team and that it was going to be difficult for us to win it all. Yeah. I think, I think that's what the frustration from, from fans has been is, is not being able to put our finger on what went wrong to, to cause that skid. Everybody's got theories from coaching staff to complacency to whatever. I ranted about it in the last podcast for like 40 minutes. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to do any more of that uh, today, but uh, I, I agree, right? I mean, you do have that, that critical stretch after the William and Mary game. And even if you go two and two, you're still in the driver's seat probably. And it was the way those losses occurred, getting blown out by Hofstra coming up empty against Elon and UNCW the second time. So I'm very anxious to see what coach Grant has to say, because if, if anybody has the answers, it would be him. Uh, and he kind of alluded to that uh, in the post game, talking about he learned more this season than he had in, in any of the previous five. Um, so we'll see what he has to say once he's had a, a chance to debrief and, and kind of reflect. This is an important off season, and we're going to figure out where the program's headed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, a lot of us former players text each other. And I think the big the big thing we've talked about is this is probably the biggest offseason in Coach Grant's career um, because this is kind of going to be a make-it-or-break-it offseason for the future of this program. And um, I, I, like you, I hope that we get answers. Um, not that he owes us that, but, you know, like you said, he kind of alluded to it in the post game. So I hope that we can kind of get some answers and clarity on just what went wrong. And you keep in mind that Coach Grant's only, what, five, six years into his coaching career. Yeah. He's still very young yeah. for a coach. He's obviously still learning and, and developing and and um, improving as a coach. And so, you know, there's plenty of stuff, like he said, that he's probably learned from this year, mistakes that he made that, that you know, he, he learned from and will, you know, change going forward. And same with the young guys that will return. But um, this is definitely a make it or break it off season. I'm excited to see you know, what we do from a recruiting standpoint um, and transfers and whatnot. I mean, you, 
you would think there's got to be some guys out there dying to, to come to Charleston, South Carolina. And I think that a grad transfer or just a older transfer in general uh, could be huge for us. And that's something we haven't really quite seen other than Sam Miller. Um, we haven't really quite seen a, a big, bigger name program transfer into the College of Charleston. Um, but you almost kind of feel like you've got to get a guy like that or a grad transfer or something uh, to really be competitive next year, given what we have coming back. Well, let's talk about what's coming back. You're losing three starters in Riller, McManus, and Miller. Theoretically, Zepp and Brevin are the leaders next year. But next year, we're going to be three years removed from the championship team. Brevin and Zepp did not play on that team. Brevin, not much at all. Zepp, I believe, redshirted that season. So that tie to that era, to that core, which was Riller and McManus this season, is not going to be there. So there's going to be... Uh, a leadership void that that needs to get filled and then just from a personnel standpoint you're losing your two starting bigs and then osanachi smart is celebrating on senior night so i don't know what his uh he's a a fourth year player we're not sure if if he's going to be back or not so you're you may lose your three big men in your three big men rotation samba and jai probably comes back next year from injury but he's still mostly unproven Dante King, we've heard good things about him, but he had to redshirt this year. Um, I would love to see them go the the grad transfer route. We saw how well that worked out with Marcus Sheffield at at Elon. Maybe even go the junior college route and, and get a big guy who's immediately eligible. Because I don't know if we have a, a year for someone to sit out. You know, as much as I'd like to have a, a guy from a big name program, I think it has to be a, a grad transfer or a JUCO to, just to get that immediate fix because I don't know who else you're going to play at the four and the five. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, it's certainly concerning. Obviously we don't know what Samba is going to bring. I've heard really great things about Dontavious King. Um, and a lot of guys have, have told me that he, you know, he's got the potential to be a Jarrell Brantley type player. Um, now, obviously I don't know that he's, Anybody can match Jarrell just based on um, based on what I saw when I was there, and obviously we saw Jarrell Jarrell's career play out. I mean, he's a he's a different beast, but if he can be something like that, um, that would be huge for this program. Um, that's kind of the big question mark for me, because if he comes back and is obviously eligible and everything next year, I think a, a good Dontavious King paired with a Brevin Galloway and is up Jasper and and Epps Tucker or Reddish, one of them stepping up. You know, maybe you go kind of small ball and um, and can be dangerous and, and not be a bottom dweller in the CAA or anything like that. The one thing that does concern me is shooting. Obviously, Brevin, you know, can get really, really hot. Um, but outside of him, I don't know that we have anybody on our roster that's a proven shooter that's, you know, hit, hit threes consistently. And so that's one thing that really concerns me. I'd love to see them bring somebody in to, uh, to stretch the floor and, and give us a uh, a way to to kind of stretch out defenses and, and hit some threes and not have all the focus on Brevin. Um, but it, it's certainly a huge offseason for us. I've heard good things about Quan McClumley, but again, he's pretty unproven. He'll be a junior next year, limited minutes this year, but I thought he did some good stuff when he got in there. Um, so it's it's certainly a, uh, a lot of question marks heading into the offseason. There's one more scholarship to work with. Um, there's two recruits signed for next year. Who knows if they're going to immediately play or, or not, but they both look like guys who play on the perimeter. So I'd love to get a big with that third one. And, uh, you know, whether that comes with by, via freshman or transfer or whatever, 
yeah what else is on your uh off-season to-do list or your wish list for this team you know as i say and i think i said it last year the big thing is development um you know the off-season for these guys you know starts basically today or tomorrow i mean i'm sure they bust back yesterday you know or even monday and so um the, the, the off season is now, you know, you've got to get in the gym and start working, uh, start working on your game. And, and they'll probably get about a week off or so. And then, you know, start the, the weights again, the workouts and everything. But the guys that um, to me, the guys that are really want to win and want to be great, they're, they're back in the gym, you know, here in a couple of days because it stings and it hurts. And the only way to, to kind of make it feel better is to start working again towards, towards next year. You know, on, on the topic of uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but just on the topic of development, who improved year over year on this team? I think the list probably starts with Galloway. I think he, you know, he had some, yeah. some clunkers in there too, some some bad games, but you know, kind of proved himself to be that second guy. And OC, I think, got better. I mean, he had a double double. I think maybe the only double double of the season uh, on the team, yeah. but he. Uh, you know, he, he kind of polished his game up a little bit, but I don't know, man. I think the list is pretty short of, of guys who showed something new, showed something different, not just getting yeah. more minutes, yeah. but but adding facets to their game or, or improving in, in different areas. No, I, I totally agree. Um, those are probably the, the two that you you think about. I mean, Zep, I think, has, has always been a good player for us, but at times I feel like we asked Zep to do a lot of things that probably aren't in his wheelhouse. Um, you know, I think Zep's a great defender and I really do like him as a, as our starting point guard, but I think sometimes when you're relying on Zep at the end of the shot clock or trying to shoot, you know, a contested three, that's not really the position you want to put him in. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, him and Brevin have obviously improved a lot, OC with the double doubles, but yeah, outside of that, you go down the roster and you're like, where has anybody gotten better? Um, and obviously, you know, Brendan Tucker, Tra- Trayvon Reddish, and uh, D'Angelo Epps. I mean, they're freshmen. So, you know, the seasons they had, while you want a little bit more out of at least one of them, and I never felt like we kind of had that explosion of a freshman that we were just like, okay, like this is this guy's coming on, like take a look at this. But, um, you know, you want to see them improve and and uh, take this offseason to, to get better and come back and have a huge sophomore season. Um and so I'm, I'm interested out of those three guys, and I couldn't tell you, you know, off the top of my head, which which one I think will uh, will be better next year, or kind of you know step into that leadership role on the team. But but one of them's got to got to step up and provide us with something. You know, I, I'd love for Reddish or uh, Tucker to kind of become, or even apps to kind of become that Cam Johnson type guy. You know, that that 10, 12 points a game gritty defender, great rebounder, and just a guy that you can just trust on the floor. I feel like uh, if I could name two players or styles of players that we're missing on this team, it's a it's a Marquise Pointer and a, and a Cam Johnson. Mm. And I feel like if we had guys that could play like that to go with Grant this year, we're, we're probably in the championship game. That's that's interesting. <clears throat> Both those guys have uh, had similar styles, uh, at least from, from my outside perspective. But uh, – yeah, I think the team definitely needs a butt kicker. Uh, you know, someone who's gonna who's gonna chew guys out if they need it and and leave it all on the floor. And and we talked about this, I think, on a previous podcast. Like Cam Johnson had seen the bottom of the barrel, right? Nine wins. He had his own Herculean effort to lead the team in scoring that season. That that was rough. Um, and you you could tell he never wanted to see that again. And he was gonna ride guys to, to make sure they. 
they got back to where they I, tell, I, mean, I mean, I was obviously on that team and in that locker room with him. And I mean, losing those games, however many games it was that year, it felt like about 50. I think it was like 23 or 24. <laughs> he was pissed off. I mean, he was, he was ticked. And he didn't have any problem letting you know about it, and rightfully so. But that was, you know, Coach Grant used to give out a, a JYD award, Junkyard Dog. And I, he probably, I don't know, we gave it out after losses, but he every every win, all nine of them, I think he won. <laughs> uh, and that's just the ty- type of kid that he was. And he's the type of guy that you just, you know, he's not necessarily the most talented. He's not the greatest shooter in the world, but you want him on your team. You want him in your starting five because you know he's just going to make winning plays. And I go down this roster right now looking at it, I'm like, who's going to be that guy? Because we clearly don't have it right now. I think Zepp's probably the closest guy we have to it, if I had to pinpoint somebody. But, um, you know, you feel like you just need another guy like that, that, like you said, is just going to kind of play angry and be that that force of, you know, physical and, and competitiveness in the lineup day in and day out. Because for me watching a lot of these games this year, the energy levels, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. I never knew what team was going to show up. If we were going to come out energetic and the bench is going nuts and we're hitting shots and diving on balls, or if we're going to come out kind of flat and lose to a Elon or UNCW at home. Is Cam still with the Spurs? Can we hire him as a, as an assistant <laughs> director of basketball operations? Assistant he, or something? he is. He is with the Spurs. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can get him hired. He got some good TV time the other day. Though. Let's start a GoFundMe to, uh, to pay Cam's salary. <laughs> Um, can, can we hire Tony Shaver as a consultant for the offense? Is that, is that possible? I would love. There's nothing more that I'd love to see uh, CFC run a little backdoor Princeton offense, start uh, start shooting 43s a game. That'd be awesome. I need something. Um, I, I, I do think the, the coaching staff needs a, uh, a self-evaluation. It's a new staff. Um, something that keeps getting brought up again and again is – Milan Brown, who was on that championship team staff, uh, helped Coach Grant get his start here at CFC, had head coaching experience. He's now up at Pittsburgh. Quentin Farrell, obviously, you know, and this is the the downside of being a successful program is guys get poached. But Coach Q's up in Presbyterian. He's a D1 coach now. And now you bring in uh, a younger staff, a staff that's mostly unfamiliar with players, um, you know, got their first full look at these guys this season. But clearly something was amiss in the offense in the energy levels and and all that stuff and i think i think the coaches need to uh kind of look back on that yeah and i mean this is if you go down the line other than than jd um a lot of these guys you know are young assistant coaches you know in the grand scheme of things i mean they've done it four or five years but they're not you know we don't really have anybody on our staff that's kind of the wily old veteran or has head coaching experience um like a Milan Brown. And so um, I'd love to see somebody like that come in. You never know what will happen, coaching change-ups, um, kind of like players. You never know who's going to transfer, who's going to leave, this and that. So we could be looking at a totally different staff and, and team next year. You just never know with these off-seasons in college basketball. But um, I'm with you. I'd love to see a veteran head coach um, that maybe comes out of retirement or, you know, we're about to be in the, the – firing season of college basketball if we're kind of already in it so um i would love to see cfc bring in you know an old veteran even if it's in a you know like i said if it's a retired coach who comes on as you know a video coordinator director of ops I and mean, there's so many creative positions you can make now um to add to a staff but i do think that that could could pay dividends for this team 
Um, and for, for coach Grant's uh, progression as a coach, like I said, he's still a young head coach. He's still figuring things out. He's still learning and developing. Um, and so I think it's always helpful to have uh, an older experienced coach, especially who's been through it from the head coaching ranks, uh, just to kind of, to bounce things off of you. And, um, you know, I saw a, a great tweet the other day about college coaching and to assistant coaches and said, you know, you're not there to stroke the ego of the head coach. You're there to, to challenge them and support them and make them better. And, um, you know, sometimes with a younger staff, I think it's harder for them to challenge that head coach when they've only been doing it a couple of years. And so that's where I think when you have kind of the older coach that's been through it uh, can be really successful and helpful is they're there to say like, Hey, I've been here before right. and kind of challenge the head coach on, on different things. And so I think that could, that could pay huge dividends for CFC and, and obviously we'll see how the off season shakes out with that. Still a good job being an assistant coach living in Charleston, South Carolina is not a, not a bad gig. So. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> give it up. I mean, you'd have to drag me out of that office, you know, but uh, you know, this is, we, we've got a great program and um, you know, as, as worrisome as we may be about the future seasons and worried about what's that next player to step up and who's it going to be, you know, this is still the first year in what, three or four years we hadn't had 20 wins. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not dead and out yet or anything. Still got, still got plenty of bright times ahead, but it's uh it's a crucial, crucial off season for us. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the things that shake out and, and how we improve going into 2020 and 2021. Me too. It's going to be interesting going to be interesting uh we'll, we'll be monitoring it along the way well harrison man thanks for for helping us recap the season and, and making those guest appearances uh throughout the season everybody thanks for listening this year uh we've had a lot of fun with with holy city hoops this season even if it was a, a slightly disappointing one but uh we'll we'll leave you with uh with a go cougs and we'll uh chat again soon sounds good thanks for having me on man and, and thanks for uh always covering the cougar sports even when you have to deal with the the flow sports broadcasting online <laughs> it's it's all good it's the uh it's the price i pay <laughs> literally no it's all good thanks man i'll let you go thank you man you have a good one